0: We're going to take some Sunday mornings and we're going to start a new series. We mentioned how to face the enemy and win every time. I want to be a winner, don't you? I'm excited. Oh, there's three people that want to be a winner. You like being a loser. I don't want to be a loser. If I had my choice, I'd much rather win. I'll pull some Carolina people up and some Clemson people up and we'll ask them, which would you rather be, a winner or a loser? Yeah, there you go, winners, winners. So your design, let me tell you, the Lord has designed you to be a winner. Now, the kingdom's paradoxical. It's not always the way the world defines winner, but he has designed you to be a winner. You are not a loser. You are not designed to be a doormat of the enemy by which he can come and just sort of, you know, wipe off his feet on your esteem and, you know, your emotion and and the way you view things, but you are designed to be a winner now. I grew up, most of you are aware of this because I've told so many stories in this regard, I grew up in a traditional mainline church, and I won't throw out the name this morning, because if I did, everybody would know the name. Very well known, very mainline, very traditional, and that's the church I grew up in. And whenever we began to even closely go to a subject that might have to do with the devil, we avoided it. In fact, I never heard much about him at all. Of course, I didn't hear much about Jesus either in that particular church, but nonetheless, we heard almost zero about the devil. And I guess we sort of developed with this mentality that if we didn't mention him, then maybe he wouldn't bother us. If we just didn't talk about it, we wouldn't have to worry about it. How many of you know for most folks that strategy just doesn't seem to work? I received most of my doctrine... From Hollywood horror films. That's a bad place to get your doctrine from. I mean, you'll hear all sorts of things about the Antichrist and this and that, and most of it's all wrong. So, so I got most of my ideas about the enemy and about evil and about how it worked. I got it from horror films, which means, if you think about it, righteousness would barely win over evil. I mean, if you ever watch any of that stuff, and I don't watch it much now. I, you know, years ago I watched it because you got kind of a buzz, you know, when you watch that horror stuff. But I don't watch that stuff now because it's just so wrong, and it opens up doors, and it just messes you up. But, but, but a lot of that stuff, what it shows you is, is that that righteousness and righteous things would barely win. You ever notice that at the end of the movie, you know, if if there was a, a good person or or some some good virtuous thing that would be there, if if it was if it was a a really a a proper movie, that righteousness would barely win. Most of the time, evil would win. How many of you know Freddy Krueger has come back more times than we can count? (laughs) Jason has popped up out of the water, out of the fiery car. They buried him. They tried to kill him, and he keeps coming back. Michael Myers keeps chasing Jamie Lee Curtis all over the screen for the past 25 years. I mean, it's amazing to me how much power we'll hand over to evil. But yet when it comes to the things of God, well, we just aren't real sure. And there's always, in a lot of people, this seed of fear, this seed of apprehension, of doubt, of timidity. I know there was in me. If I had to face any kind of evil, there would be something in me that would be generated that I would be apprehensive and full of anxiety, wondering in my mind or even in my spirit if I could really prevail or I could really press through this particular situation. I want you to know this is Satan's greatest lie against you. You were designed to face him and win every time. If he can keep you off that point, he can keep you defeated. But my job is to keep you on point so we can keep you victorious. We will never be winners as long as we continue to see ourselves as helpless, hopeless victims of the devil. It is time we began to reverse this trend, and it starts with the people of God. So my lesson that I want to start off with as we kind of go through all of these lessons about how to face the enemy and win, the first thing we need to get a hold of this morning is what I've called, Yes, You Can Win. Yes, you can win. I'm going to read several verses. You can follow along with me if you'd like, or if not, just write them down, or they perhaps will have them on the screen overhead. Romans 8.37 says this. Listen now. Just listen. He says, yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors. I love that verse, because we're not just conquerors, he says. We're more than conquerors. You heard the joke, I think I've told it before, about what that means. If you put it in a golf analogy, if there's a professional golfer, and he goes out, and he goes through his four days of golfing, and he wins the tournament that he's playing in, it could be said that he has conquered the golf course. And because he has conquered the golf course, they give him a check, which usually, in professional circles, is quite a nifty sum of money. Is that not right? So he's, he's a conquer of that golf course. But he goes home with that check, and he hands it to his wife, and at that moment, she becomes more than a conqueror. Yeah. <laughs> Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Turn to 1 Corinthians 15. Just bear with me. We've got to hear the word of God. You, you know why? Because you don't need to believe me. You need to believe the Lord. I can tell you anything. Who do you? But you need to believe what God says. 1 Corinthians 15, 57 says this. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Wow. Keep turning, 1 John. 1 John 4, 4, you are of God, little children, and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Yep, it's all in the Bible. Chapter 5, 1 John chapter 5, beginning with verse 4, listen to this. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? All of these are just the beginning point that I want to use to remind you that, yes, you can win. So our starting point for victory is not the place of trying to elaborate upon all the areas that we are in defeat. But rather, the place we start is the revelation of victory. You need to get a revelation. You need to get an unveiling. You need the light bulb to turn on to a mindset of victory. You have been called to be victorious. If you don't get that mindset, it will never manifest in your everyday life. Satan no longer has the power or the authority to defeat the sons and the daughters of the King. He doesn't have that power. So the enemy's only hope in keeping you defeated is in keeping you deceived. The only hope he has of continuing to perpetrate all of those things that he pawns off on your life. And it doesn't matter whether it be emotional upheaval. It doesn't mean whether you always feel like you're getting the short end of the stick, you're in poverty, you're in sickness. I could list you a 100 different things that the enemy can get his fingers in He is destined to be defeated in all of those areas, but what he does is he keeps us deceived, he keeps us ignorant, and he keeps us untaught. And so we have people out there who will say these words. They'll say, well, yeah, I love the Lord. They would say at least that they are Christian, and yet their whole life demonstrates that there's absolutely zero victory in their life. Why is that? It's because they've been untaught, they've been deceived, they are ignorant, and they just don't get it how to make it happen or how to make it work. So what happens is they get discouraged, they begin to say to themselves, God doesn't love me, this stuff doesn't work, that stuff the church teaches is a bunch of hooey, and truth of the matter is, you're wrong. Because you've not been given the whole scoop. And I'm going to try to help get you some of that scoop into your life. And I have found that there are several revelations, at least, that have helped me, and I'm trusting they'll help you, in letting the Holy Spirit get you to the place where you can say, yes, I can win. Let's practice that, shall we? Everyone say, yes, I can win. Ready? Yes, yes I can win. One more time. Yes, I can win. One more time. Yes, yes I can, I can win. win. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. Let's talk about how that revelation starts happening. We need to understand we've been freed, number one, from the fear of the devil. Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2, and again, I know, just bear with me, I'm reading a number of verses, but I just think it's important to hear what God says. Hebrews 2, 14 says, Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death, listen to this, he, meaning Jesus, might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Boy, that, that's a lot of people right there. Their whole life they're subject to bondage because they have not understood that Jesus has freed us from the fear of the enemy. This passage says, literally, that Christ came to destroy the enemy. Now, I, I need to define destroy because we aren't killing the devil this morning, all right? That we aren't, we aren't destroying not destroying. Him as a person. It says in Colossians 2.15 that when Christ died, he disarmed all powers and principalities and actually, the Bible says, made public display of them. To destroy does not mean that the enemy no longer exists, but rather it means to make powerless, to bring to naught, to make inactive, to be of no effect, to paralyze, or to reduce to zero. That's what it means to destroy. Therefore, if Christ has accomplished these things, we need no longer fear the devil or his activity, for he is, as we're dealing with him, a defeated enemy. Understand, he may show up to your doorstep. He may knock at your life's window. He may try to instigate a scheme or a tactic in your life, but you need to understand right off the bat that as he shows up, he is a defeated enemy. It's like putting, you know, a high school baseball team up against the major league baseball team. I mean, it, even that is an, a, a great illustration, but it's the best natural one we can get because there's no contest if you were to put these two entities together. There is no contest between who the Lord is and who the enemy is. Through the power of the cross and through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, he has been defeated. Christ reigns absolutely. He's not a figurehead king, he's not just this king we sort of pay a little homage to and we sort of just sort of tip our hat to him, but Jesus is a real, live king. Now, I know what people say, they say, well, if he's king and he rules so absolutely, then why is it that I or others seem to experience So much defeat and setback in my life. Well, I'm glad you asked that question. It's because we've not known or we have not implemented what is rightfully ours. It doesn't work if you don't implement it. It won't happen if you don't plug it in. You can get mad at your refrigerator that it's not keeping your food cold, but if you don't plug that thing in, it doesn't matter how mad you get at it. And we've got to start plugging some things in in order to see the manifestation of the victory. So let's understand a couple of things about how victory was lost and how it was won. Bear with me for just a few minutes. I'm going to give you you a gigantic Bible history lesson in about two minutes. In the book of Genesis, the book of Genesis is what I call the book of God's original intent. If you want to understand what the heart of God was in the earth, You need to read the book of Genesis, especially the first maybe nine, ten chapters. I mean, you can begin to see what his intentions were in the earth. And as you begin to read that, even through the first couple of chapters, what we begin to see is is that when he created Adam and Eve, it says that he gave them dominion. I believe that's Genesis 126. He gave them dominion over everything in the earth. Now, the word dominion doesn't mean that they had this tyrannical dictatorial spirit on them. But what it meant was is that they had the ability to give oversight, to have influence. Yes, to rule, to make sure things were operating correctly, to begin to function in such a way that they wouldn't be defeated, but that they could walk uh, in unfettered relationship with their God and also with a sense of victory in their own life. But along uh, in this whole creation account, Adam and Eve being created, enjoying this pristine relationship. They're able to interact with God. They're enjoying everything the earth has for them. Along comes Satan as a serpent. Subtle, it says. Very subtle. It's amazing. The devil never shows up in a red suit with horns. Have you ever noticed that? I mean, wouldn't it be easy to fight him if he just showed up with a pitchfork, red suit, and horns? I mean, as soon as you'd see him, you'd say, Devil, I should fight him. I mean, it would really be easy. But that's not how he shows up. In fact, scripture says that there are times the enemy shows up as an angel of light. He can look cool, good, suave, finesse. He can look just like absolutely everything you would ever want or imagine, but it's not God. In this particular case, he came as a serpent. uh, Many of you know the story, the serpent enters into a conversation with Eve. And begins to solicit her to partake of the fruit that was on the tree that God said she was not to eat. They were not to eat or partake of. They could have the fruit of everything in the garden, everything in the world. They were at liberty to partake of, but they couldn't eat of this one tree. Is that not interesting, too? It's amazing how whenever someone looks at you and says, no, don't do that, that's the thing you want to do. I mean, you could do a thousand other things. But that one thing that God says, no, don't do that. We're we're the first one to say, well, I want to do it then. who's he to say anything to me so that he said don't eat of the fruit but she partakes of the fruit she's beguiled the scripture says or she's deceived into partaking of this fruit she partakes of the fruit she hands it over to her husband Adam he partakes of the fruit and right there at that moment once sin or rebellion or disobedience to what God had said takes place all of a sudden this unseen yet cataclysmic happening begins to take place. All of a sudden, what ripples out of both Adam and Eve is this loss of authority, this loss of dominion, this sin that had taken place that enabled them to have unfettered relationship with their God suddenly alienates them and fractures them from the face of God to where God has to call out and figure out where they are. Where are you? And they say, well, we're hiding from you. Why are we hiding from you? Well, because we're afraid of you now. Isn't that interesting? It's just really interesting to me that fear, fear of God, which, you know, is an appropriate thing if there's reverence, but now they fear to even have relationship with him. And so they lose their covering. The Bible says that they realize they're naked before the Lord. And, and so they, they want to cover themselves and they become their own authority, And they, they, they lose their right to rule in the earth and they come under this new authority. Satan owns, Satan operates. Satan is the one that begins to control the systems of this world. And all of a sudden, Adam and Eve, as well as now all of their lineage, including you and including me, come under this dominion right now of the enemy. Now, I shouldn't have to illustrate too far to remind you that when you look at the world, and even though the earth is the Lord's and all that it contains, the Bible says that Satan is the God, little g, of this age. Or in other words, he is the ruler of the systems of this world. Can you see that? I think that's relatively easy. I mean, all you have to do is go to work on Monday morning and you watch how people interact and act and stab each other in the back and gossip and, and do all the things they do. And some, you know, will, will, will work over a deal and and stick it to somebody financially. Let me tell you something. He is. He's the god of this age. He's the god of this world. And all of us now function under that particular dominion or authority. Now the question is, if things stay like that, this thing's going to get in trouble real fast. And so from the very earliest moments of the fall, God prophesies to the woman and says to Eve, yes, this has all taken place. But I'm telling you that from your seed, I'm going to bring forth that which will crush the serpent's head. It took several hundreds of years for it to finally come to the place that the scripture says in the fullness of time. God sent his son. Jesus comes into the earth. When he comes into the earth, his sole purpose is to ransom, to redeem, or to buy back that which was lost By Adam. So Jesus literally becomes what the Bible calls the second Adam. He comes into the earth. He's born just like you and I are born. Yes, he's fully God, but the scripture says he's also fully man. The Bible says that he is touched to the same infirmities and temptations that you and I have been touched of. He faces the same uh, uh, challenges, the same issues. And he faces them all. He even faces the enemy out in the wilderness, the desert. And he prevails in that particular situation. But all of a sudden, what takes place is he must obviously go. He, he goes to the cross. And as he goes to the cross, he becomes the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. He begins to pay the debt that sin has accrued. The wages of sin is death. He willingly submits himself to all that takes place. His life is taken from him. The Bible says that in the three days he descends into the lower parts. He preaches liberty to the captives that are there. He comes out of the grave full of resurrection power. And the scripture says that at that particular moment, Jesus Christ stands above all power and all principality. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved than by the name of Jesus. The Bible says that there will be a day that every tongue and every tribe and every nation shall bow their knee. To Jesus Christ, he is the ruler, he is the king, he is the top dog, ain't nobody bigger than him. Amen. Amen. Now, listen to me. Just as the first Adam stained the whole human race. Now listen to me, because a lot of people, this is what I've come to believe, I'm just teaching you what I've come to understand. The first Adam has stained the whole human race. The second Adam, Jesus comes to redeem the whole human race. Now, listen to me. The only if in there is if they choose to receive him as their personal Lord and Savior. The scripture says, to as many as received him, to them he gave the right to be the children of God. So you just don't, it's not universalism. It's not just, well, he died so everybody's clear. No, you must receive personally that which Christ has provided for you. So, Adam stains, first Adam stains the whole race. Jesus provisionally at least redeems the whole race, those who would at least receive him as their personal savior. But this is the part that I want you to get. The Bible says that it would be through the woman that the head of the serpent would be crushed. The head of the enemy would be crushed. So Eve, as you'll recall, was the one who functionally, she was the one that literally grabbed the fruit first, right? And Ate it, handed it to Adam, he stains everybody. Well, now Jesus comes, he redeems everybody, but now there's a bride, now there's a second Eve. And that second Eve is what we call now the church. And just as the first Eve got to functionally rebel, functionally sin, and he provisionally stained, Jesus provisionally redeems, but we get to, as the second Eve, functionally implement the power that he has provided. You say, well, pastor, what does that mean? That means you and me, all of us who say we love the Lord and have received him into our life, we have the high privilege, according to Romans 1620, to crush Satan beneath our feet. That's what Paul said. He looked at the Roman church and he said, may the God of peace soon crush Satan beneath your feet. Now, you can't do it on your own. It's not your authority. It's His authority. It's His work. It's He working through you. But you and I have been given the ability, the authority, we've been delegated that from the Father Himself in order to prevail and to win over the enemy. Here's the key. Yes, you can win. Yes, you can beat your discouragement. Yes, you can beat your depression. Yes, you can beat that stronghold. Yes, you can beat the internet. Yes, you can. Yes, your marriage can work out. Yes, it can. Yes, your family can stick together. Yes, the job can get better. Yes, you can get the raise. Yes, you can walk into a better day. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. You say, you don't know my situation. I don't care what your situation is. Because you ain't bigger than the cross. You may think you have the one for all time, issue that no one else has ever faced. And you, of all people, are facing what no one else could ever even begin to imagine. I'm here to tell you, you're wrong. You are wrong. You have been deceived, you are ignorant, and you need to break out of that and get a revelation this morning that yes, you can win. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. If I could get up in your grill, I'd say it to you. No, Yes, you can. Don't tell me you can't. Don't tell me you can't when the Bible says I can do all things. Through Christ who strengthens me. Yes, I can. Yes, I can. I'm just, the reason I keep saying yes, I can is because I'm believing you're getting a revelation of that right now. I know some of you are facing really, really tough times. I, I'm not minimizing. Don't misunderstand me. I don't want to minimize what you're facing. I, I understand it's tough. Can I just tell you? Believe it or not, we've faced a few tough times. I know they're tough. I know everything inside of you is screaming, is this the one that's going to take me out? I'm telling you, yes, you can win. Yes, you can. Now the question is, what can you do to begin to implement that? Now these next six weeks, I'm going to be talking about a lot of things. And if you elect to stay at home and sleep in and don't give a rip, and you just want to ignore it and once again be unteachable, I'm not going to come chase you, all right? Just hear me. I won't come chase you. You just keep playing it the way you see it, and the only question that you'll keep hearing in your ear is this one. How's it working for you? I've had people come in for counseling at times, and I'll start counseling them, and it's amazing to me. They'll look at me and they'll go, well, you know, I don't know this God stuff, and I don't know this, and I don't know. And they'll just, I mean, they're coming into to me for counsel, and they start telling me what they think. And oftentimes I'll just say, time out. Can I just ask you, how's that working? <laughs> well, not very good. Well, then why do you keep doing it? Don't you think maybe it's time for a change? Try something different? I believe the last time I remember, insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over again, thinking you're going to get a different result. So what can you begin to do? I'm just starting. This isn't it. I'm just starting. What can you begin to do to implement your victory? Number one, we've mentioned this. You've got to begin to realize that you've been given authority. Your victory starts with changing your mentality. As a man thinks, the scripture says, so is he. If you won't change your mentality, you'll never see victory. If you leave here and you continue to believe that you are weak and that you are pitiful, then that is how your life will continually look, is weak and pitiful. However, if you receive the revelation today that the Lord has designed you to win over the enemy, no matter what, if you will begin to let that mentality sink in you, you will begin to see victory. I want to tell you a story. I've told this before years ago. I don't know that I've ever told it at Legacy, but, but some of you will remember it because it was kind of a notable story I told years ago. But uh, I think Kaylin, I don't know, she might have been three, four years old, five years old. And her and her mom ganged up on me one day. I think it was her birthday or something like that. And they said, We want a cat. Can we get a kitty? I said, Well, you know. And you're five year old. Daddy, I want a cat. Daddy I want a cat. Oh. Alright, go get a cat. Well, we're gonna go to the feline refuge, and you know, they only cost about twenty dollars at the feline refuge. Well, you know, twenty dollar cat, that seemed reasonable. For a cat, anyway. I mean. so, they went and got, so they went to the feline refuge, and they got this cat, Toulouse. Still have him to this day. But when they picked him out, he was kind of the runt cat. And for whatever reason, he kind of stole their heart because he was just kind of a runt cat. And anyway, I'm going to try to make this it's a long story, so I'm going to make it short. They, they get this cat, $20, they bring it home. But here was the deal with the cat. The cat had an eye issue that they said at the refuge would be easily taken care of. And do what? Yeah, okay. And this is my story, okay? Don't don't get in my (laughs) illustration. Just a little eye issue. All right. So he comes home, and and you know we're putting this stuff in the cat's eye. This this gel stuff in the cat's eye keeps getting worse and worse and worse, until finally it's just infected, and he's got to go to the doctor. Well, as we're taking him to the doctor, um, I, I, I told. Trace, I said, now make sure you go ahead and spade or neutered. I don't know which one you do, but I don't know. But anyway, <laughs> but anyway, we fixed the cat. That's what we did. We got the cat fixed. I said, make sure you fix the cat because we don't want no accidents with the cat. And, and so, and the paws, yeah, I told him, take, take the paws out, paws out. Yeah, don't take the paws out. Take the paws out. <laughs> and so we had the cat totally overhauled. So the cat comes home, and of course, now my $20 cat's about a $500 cat right about now. <laughs> so she brings the cat home, and she says, well, the doctor said it really has gotten bad. It's infected really bad now. And uh, we've only got about three choices that, that we can do on this cat. Number one is we can uh, literally pluck the eye out, sew it up, and it'll be a one-eyed cat. Secondly, you can just put the cat down, just put it to sleep, and go get a new cat. <laughs> the, th- the third one is, we can have an operation, when they'll operate on the eye, and they can literally fix the eye on the cat in order that it will be better. I said, well, how much is that? Well, I don't know, it was, it was several hundred dollars. To do the operation well I started thinking about that well number one is I discounted I wasn't going to put the cat down because the cat lived with us long enough now that you know he doesn't want to kill it it's almost a family member so I wasn't going to kill it I knew that but then I started thinking about taking his eye out and sewing it up and having this cat kind of walk around the house like this all the time and I didn't think that was good either plus I'm looking at these two and They're giving me the look. And so I said, oh, do the operation. Went in, took the cat, and did the operation. And in order to keep the paws out of the cat's eyes so it wouldn't get infected as it was healing, they ended up, they had to sew it up just for a brief period of time. And they put this cone on its head (laughs) in order that the paw couldn't get to to the head. So the cat comes home. Now understand, the cat is... Clawless, eyeless, (laughs) neutered. My $20 cat's now in the $1,000 range easy. And it's got this cone on its head. And they didn't have the right size cone, because it was just this runt kitty, remember? And so they had to put the smallest cone, but it was still way too big for the cat. So he's got this, I mean, it's just not this little cone. I mean, it's this cone about yay big. And it was hilarious, because you know he's walking with this cone. And everywhere he walks, he's got to walk like this. (laughs) Because he's got no peripheral vision, you see. So he's just, you know, to make sure where he's going, he's walking like this. And he'd go eat out of his dish. It was hilarious to watch him eat out of his dish. He'd kind of get up on his tippy toes and just kind of set his head down, you know, over the dish. And you couldn't see anything going. You just heard this sound going on underneath the cone. It was really, and it was. It was just as funny as it sounds. It was just hilarious. At that time we still had our Lhasa Opsa, which we named Shundai at the time, which Shundai was our charismatic puppy, you know. We, uh... But anyway, so Shundai had been with us for probably 12 years or so by that time. I mean, you know how animals are. You know, when you have an animal, the animal literally owns the house. The animal sleeps a lot of, for a lot of you, you know how the animals sleep on the bed. I mean, for some people, their animals will kick them out of bed. And, and, and that's just how it works, you know, it, whether it be a dog or a cat, they literally become a family member and they own the house. Well, our Lhasa Apso, Shani, literally was the owner of the house. I mean, she got a lot of attention, she got a lot of, lot of you know, pets and scratches, and suddenly this cat comes into her domain. And uh, she doesn't like it. And, and long before we ever had the operation, they'd get into it. I mean, the cat would mess with it. I mean, it's funny how the cat would would run up to it and torment it, you know. It would go right up to its face and just sit there and stare at it like a cat does. And then all of a sudden it would go. I mean, that thing would be off like a shot. And they would run around the house. And it was hilarious. And the cat would jump up on the edge of the sofa and the dog would walk by. It was the funniest thing you ever saw. That dog would walk by and the cat would just kind of reach down as the dog would walk by and go. Oh, it was hilarious watching it. Well, now the cat, you know, it's got one eye, cone head, neutered, no claws. I, I mean, I'm thinking this is, you know, they're, they're going to have to rest this stuff. Well, the cat isn't going to have any part of that. We, we hadn't been home probably a day before the cat starts irritating the dog again. But understand this, it's got the cone head, the one eye, the no claws. And so the cat had come up to the dog with all of this and go... And then it'd dart off and start running. The hilarious part was it'd have to do this. (laughs) Because it couldn't say, oh, it was just the most hilarious thing you ever saw in your life. And I'll never forget, we were a couple days into this thing. And they were tormenting each other and running and doing all these things. And all of a sudden, the cat irritated the dog. And they were running. The cat was running around the house. The dog was chasing it. And they came into the living room, and I was sitting in the living room at that very moment. And all of a sudden, as they're running, they just freeze frame, stop. The cat, get this now, cone head, one eye, no claws, neutered. The cat gets up on its back legs, and it puts its clawless paw in the air like this. And the dog is staring at it, and their muscles are tense. And they're staring each other down. And I'm sitting in the chair, and I'm trying to keep from laughing. Just watching this whole thing unfold before me. And they had to have stood like that for a good 60 seconds. And that's a long time when you time it on your your watch. And all of a sudden, Shunny, who had owned the house now for at least 12 years. The cat had only been here a couple months by that time. But Shunny, you could see it. She just suddenly drops her head. She turns around, and she just walks away. The cat is still like this. I'm just watching the cat. I mean, it's hilarious. Just standing like this. And it slowly puts its paw down, gets up, and walks off. Just kind of just. And at that moment, I saw something that just sparked in my spirit. At that moment, there was a transfer that took place. The dog didn't own the house anymore. The cat owned it from that time forward. And as I watched that, I I said, you know, that cat was eyeless, cone-headed, clawless, neutered. But inside of it, it had the spirit of a conqueror. And despite the fact the dog had its claws, its teeth, it was at least twice to three times its size, there was something in the cat's mind that said, make my day. (laughs) You've got to get a revelation in your heart that though you may feel like you're eyeless, clawless, neutered, with a cone on your head, You got to get something in your spirit that says when the enemy comes after me, it doesn't matter how big he may be or what the sound that comes out of his mouth may be. He may come with his teeth flashing, but the Bible says that he is only like a roaring lion and you've got to realize that you've got more than enough in you of what is available to have victory over him and it's time we took back what's rightfully ours. I want to take back my peace. I'm going to take back my joy. I'm going to to take back what's rightfully mine. I mean, how many of you had unfair business deals? You've been ripped off. The thief has taken things from you. Don't you think it's time to get back what the thief has stolen? I believe so. But you've got to realize you've been given authority to do that and get that spirit in you. Number two, I've only got three points. I know some of you are thinking, dear God, if he has ten points, we're going to be here forever. (laughs) I got three points. Number two. You got to learn to resist the enemy. The problem with most believers when it comes to the enemy is that they won't put up a fight. We just roll over. Right. We don't pray. We just soon complain. We won't do spiritual warfare. We'll call up our best friend and whine. When it comes to the enemy, we just want to roll over and give up. We aren't going to pray. In fact, most people, when they get when they so the enemy really gets after them, they'll leave. They'll leave the assembly of themselves together. They won't be at church. They won't come to connect group. They won't, you know, come to weekends. They won't do anything. Why? Well, I'm just discouraged. Well, that makes sense. You're discouraged, and so you're just going to what? Give up? Roll over? Let him win? You know, most of the victory boils down to this point show up show up you can't win the ball game if you aren't on the field you got to learn to get on the field put up a fight i know i know i've given up almost a time or two but you've got to just rise up and begin to get in the hunt james 4 7 says this resist the enemy and he will flee from you isn't that interesting if you'll just resist him he will flee so you've got to learn to do that then finally number three You've got to refuse to retreat and give up. It's, it's very similar to what I just said. I don't know if you remember the old Rocky movies. I thought about playing a clip, but I think most people remember the old Rocky movies. Do you remember how Rocky would whatever fight? I mean, you could Rocky 1, 2, 3, 4, whatever Rocky movie you were watching. I mean, they're all basically the same. He'd get in the ring, get the hound beat out of him. And then the rest of the movie was him you know, getting right with Adrian, and then he'd, he'd work out and then go and win the fight course he'd get beat to a pulp but he'd always win the fight now that's us we've got to understand we may take a beating but that doesn't mean you've lost the fight you may get a few hits but that doesn't mean you've lost the fight there may be some times that you're going to be challenged and a setback or two but that doesn't mean you've lost the fight i know what people say they say well pastor I just feel so weak in this regard. I feel like I just there's nothing in there for me to do it anymore. I came across this passage in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9. It says this. It says, And he, meaning the Lord, said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Sometimes when you're at your weakest moment, you have actually positioned yourself for a miracle. It's at that particular moment that the Lord can come and do something that can only be ascribed to his hands. You may feel weak this morning. You may feel like there's nothing left in you to give. You may feel like you can't go back to the job. I can't go back to the house. I can't go back to what I'm facing. Hey, can I just encourage you? Get up, resist the enemy, go back, and let's give God a chance for the next six weeks to see if we can't turn the tide on that particular situation. Why not? Why not give him just a little bit of time to see if he can do that? I want to finish with this. I'm done. Most of us know of all of the activity that's taking place in the Middle East. Certainly the war in Iraq and Afghanistan. Some of you are a little more adept and attuned to how that may affect the little nation of Israel. Because Israel is situated right in the center of all of that activity. And it has enemies on all sides of her. And the most amazing thing to me, and I'm not here to talk about prophecy or anything else, but the most amazing thing to me at times with regards to Israel is this. That little nation surrounded by enemies just refuses to give up. I I mean, it's the most amazing thing. It doesn't matter if they're outnumbered three to one. I can go through how they were established as a nation in 1948. We can talk about the Six-Day War. When three Arab nations ar- ar- allied itself against Israel and they beat them all, it seems like it doesn't matter, that they are there, they are there to stay, and they just refuse to give up. And I didn't know this till a number of years ago, but they actually have a motto in their armed forces, as I understand it. That's a very simple motto that's on the patch, actually, of their uniform, if I understand this correctly. And this is what it says on the patch. It says, never again. When Israel was established as a nation and and the events of the Holocaust in World War II precipitated Zionism to go and and start their own nation, it was at that moment something entered into the psyche of the Jewish people when they considered the six million family members and friends that they had lost through the concentration camps in Nazi Germany. There was something that was established in them from that point forward to this very day that says in their spirit, never again never again is this going to happen to us never again is is this going to be perpetrated on us never again are we just going to lay down and let it happen never again and that's the whole motto of the armed forces never again and it is time that we in the body and we as believers got the never again spirit and mentality in us you ever maybe you've never had this happen but if you ever got in a fight, I mean, just a scuffle, maybe growing up, you got in a scuffle with somebody, and all of a sudden you saw in their eyes that look. If I go back to the Rocky movie, they called it the eye of the tiger. I mean, there was this look in their eye. I thought to myself, what is that look? That look is never again. I mean, there have been a time or two in my life. I'm not saying it wasn't the flesh. I'm just using it as an illustration. But there have been a time or two in my life, growing up, living hard, I remember one night at a McDonald's being in the parking lot. There was this big old boy who was ready to whoop my tail. Now, this was B.C. This is before Christ, okay? This is before (laughs) Jesus. I'm going to tell you a before Jesus story here. This is years ago, probably 19 years old, maybe 18. And there was everything that got in me with fear because this was a big old boy. Now, I've been in more of my fair share of fights, but this was a big old boy. And I thought, holy Moses. I'm about ready to get whooped. I've whooped a few people, but I don't think I can whoop this old boy. And I'll never forget what I said to him. This is what I said. I said, I don't even remember what his name was. We'll just, I don't know, call him George. I said, George, you may whoop me tonight. And you may whoop me tomorrow. And you may whoop me next week. But there's going to be a day that you're going to get whooped by me. And I guarantee you, will never forget it. And inside, I was, didn't know the Lord, but I was going, help me, Lord. Help me, Lord. <laughs> and there must have been something in my eye at that moment that George saw. And he walked away. And I walked away going. <laughs> it's that never again look. Sometimes I'd like to ask the Arab nations, why don't don't they continually go after relentlessly that little nation of Israel? It's because they've seen that never again look. I want to ask you, are you a winner or are you a loser? If you choose to be a loser, listen to me, it's going to be your choice. It's not the Lord's choice. If you just roll over and give up, that's your choice. It's not the Lord's. He has done everything necessary to give you victory. You have to begin to believe it and receive it. And these next weeks, we're going to talk more about how to implement it. Amen? Stand with me, will you please? Every head bowed, every eye closed, just for a moment. How many of you right now, I'm going to pray specifically. Now, some of you may have that revelation already, and you say, you know what, Pastor, this has just encouraged me, and it's, it's reminded me, and I appreciate that. And you're pretty much, you'd say, maybe I was on target. But there are some of you I know right now, you've got to get an eye-opening experience and get that in your spirit right now, that revelation of never again. I'm tired of losing. I'm, I'm tired of rolling over and giving up. I'm tired of not getting with the program that God put out in front of me. I'm tired of trying to make it work my way because I just like that better. It is time that I got in touch. with what God really has. If you're needing that eye-opening experience right now, this is what I want to ask you to do. I want you just right now, with every head bowed, every eye closed before I pray, I want you just to lift your hand. And you're not lifting it to me, you're lifting it to the Lord saying, Lord, I need my eyes opened in this regard. Come on, lift your hand. I need my eyes opened in this regard. Keep it up for just a minute, just a minute. And I'm going to pray. Just keep it up right now. I'm going to pray. Father, I pray right now in the name of Jesus. You see these hands that are uplifted, and Lord, they're uplifted to you, and I'm just agreeing right now with them that you're going to unveil their eyes and open their hearts to see that victory really can be theirs. I pray right now in the name of Jesus, Lord, that you would come and let them know that they can be more than conquerors, that greater is he that's in them than he that's in the world. That, Lord, that they can overcome whatever is before them, that they can press through, they can prevail, they can triumph in all things if they'll just get that revelation. That's where it starts. So, Lord, I'm believing with them and agreeing right now that you're giving them that in Jesus' name. Amen? You can put your hands down. Now, here's what we're going to do in these last moments. We do this every service, and those of you that are here, you know what I do right now. With every head bowed and every eye closed, before we dismiss, I always give opportunity for people to respond and give their hearts to Jesus. Let me tell you, you can't implement what you've not received. You must receive Him personally. You must open up your heart and personally repent from your sin, say yes to the Lord, receive Him as your personal Savior, and begin to walk it out. It's not just head knowledge It's heart reality. It's not just knowing the story, it's receiving the person. The scripture says this. It says that if you'll confess the Lord before men, he'll confess you before the Father. But if you deny him before men, you'll deny him before the Father. So we've just sort of developed a way here to function according to the scripture, to let people nail it down in their heart, that if you need to get right with God and and get your life back on track, then I just ask people to slip out and to join me and I, I pray with them right here so you can tell everyone it just nails it down I know some people say well well why can't we do it it's a private thing no it's not a private thing I don't know where we got that from it's not a private thing it says so let your light shine before all men that they might know your good works I'm just quoting scripture we, we, let, we let politicians make up things and say well you know my religion's a private thing well wonderful but that's not the Bible The Bible means I'm to live this out. It's not not a program. This is a person, and I want this person in my life. His name's Jesus. It's the most important decision you'll ever make. I'm not going to belabor the point, but I'm going to pray real quick and ask the Holy Spirit to just draw you, to woo you, to convince you that this is what you need to do. And in just a minute, I'm going to ask you to just Slip out and join me. We don't embarrass you. We won't, I promise we will never embarrass anyone. But we will cheer you and do whatever we can humanly possible to make sure you walk in victory. It's your choice. We'll do what we can. But ultimately, it's your life. Holy Spirit, you're an honored person in this place. Without you, we can do nothing. You're the one that draws men and women and boys and girls. You're the one that reaches in their heart and you go places that no man can go. Lord, I have no capacity to judge. I have no capacity, Lord, to force. All I have the capacity to do is to pray and to ask you to reach into human hearts right now and to just say to them, it's time to get things right. It's time to let me rule. Lord, I pray right now that you would enable men and women, you would enable boys and girls, young people, Lord, I I don't care what race, color, creed, it doesn't matter. Lord, if you're talking to them right now, I'd ask, Lord, that you give them the courage to slip out, whether they're the first one or the 10th one, Lord, that they'd slip out and just say yes to you, because it will be the best decision they ever made. I ask this in Jesus' name. Every head bowed, every eye closed, I'm going to ask you right now, don't you think about who you came with? Don't you sit there and think about what's this going to look like? What's it, I mean, you've got to go with what God's doing in your heart right now. I'm telling you, right now. If that's you right now, I want you just to slip out and just join me right here. Amen. There's one. God bless you. How about anyone else? Come on. This is, this is what we do. This is just what we do. Come on. I know. I, I, sometimes I just throw out a number. I know there's several probably that need to say yes. It'll be the best decision you ever made. Best decision you ever made. Come on, saints, if you pray right now, let's just tear down any wall. Father, in the name of Jesus, I just ask that you'd help people right now. Help people right now. Help them to know that you love them and you care about them. How about it? How about it? How about it? I have just another moment. I can't go. I can't go very long. You can make this decision now. I'd wait all afternoon for you if I could, but you can make it right now if you really wanted to. Let's give the Lord just a little opportunity here. Let's just tarry. Let's just tarry. Let's just tarry. Let's just tarry. If I have some of my ladies, Beverly or Casey, come down and just join right here. Hallelujah. Come on now. Anyone else? Anyone else? Anyone else? Come on. Are you interceding? Right now. Come on. Anyone else? I can only take another moment or two and then I'm done. God bless you, sir. Love you. Love your life. Anyone else? See, it's always good to just watch how God works in hearts. If it's you, just come on. Come on. Come on. We'll just tarry just for a moment. Oh, I've got to stop. Please, please. Amen. Well, let's all pray together, shall we? One last time. I want everybody in the congregation here that's with me, everybody, let's pray and lift up our voices right now. Say, in the name of Jesus. Lord, I come today and acknowledge my waywardness. I confess all my sins and I cast them upon you. I seek your forgiveness and your cleansing. I confess with my mouth That Jesus is Lord. I believe in my heart. You were raised from the dead. For the sole purpose of having a relationship with me. And letting me be victorious. I really want that. So I agree with you. I turn from the old to walk in the new. I receive you and all your ways into my heart and life Lord give me that power and give me that mindset to be victorious in my life I believe you can do it in Jesus name amen Amen. give the Lord a big hand clap will you please hallelujah amen amen and amen praise God the presence of the Lord's working and uh, God's doing great things I hope to see you in the middle of the week congregation remember there's discovery classes F3 is going on we intercede for a good 30 minutes together so there's something for everyone preteens are happening in the middle of the week as well I want all of you to be here I'm so glad you were here this morning make sure you love one another encourage one another Be a strength to one another. Look somebody in the eye before you go and tell them, yes, you can win. And you are released. Amen and amen. God bless you.